Good morning. It is a beautiful, crisp morning. It was a late evening, I suppose, for many, and uh, <laughs> makes the morning hours a little more challenging <laughs> to meet the sun as it rises in the east. But uh, it's good to be here. This is our last time together here and our last morning. And so today we will reflect upon the blessings of heaven that have come to us these last few days. The disciples were trained in three and a half years. Well, we live in a time when things are condensed. We get three and a half days to be trained and to be filled with the Spirit and then be sent out. The Lord calls disciples together and come and drink. I have the water of life. That's how we started. And then after they have drunk and after they have filled, they have been filled by the power of the Spirit, Jesus sends them out. Go thee. There is a coming and there's a going. And this morning we want to talk about the wonderful privilege of taking what we have received and let the light shine for Jesus and for others. Let's pray. Loving Father in heaven, we thank thee for another beautiful morning. We thank thee we can meet Jesus here under the canvas in this tent, that we can meet the angels here. They've been with us here all these days. And we thank thee for the power of the Holy Spirit that makes Jesus real to us, even again this morning. And we thank thee for blessing us and for promising us that you will strengthen us today again and send us away with the power of God in our lives, with a new commitment, a new vision, and a new determination to represent Jesus as the great sacrifice on which salvation is built for the world and also for our families and neighbors and friends. In Jesus' name, amen. I would like to read a couple verses to, uh, for the platform of what we'd like to share today. And we have read it again, and I'm reading it again. We read it yesterday, and we'll read it again today. Because we want to talk about the fruit of the Spirit that we begun yesterday. Uh, John 15, verse 5 is the text. John 15, verse 5, and then we go to Galatians. John 15, verse 5, I am the vine, Jesus says, Ye are the branches. The sap of the main stalk is what brings life into the branches. There is no life in the branches by itself. And the beauty of grafting a vine into the main stalk is that the bark is lifted. And I've done it. My brother showed me how to do it. He worked in a nursery for a while. And you lift up the bark of both elements and cut in the main stem and stick the branch into that main stem and then you put the bark back down and you make it even with what's underneath the bark and you put some wax on it, you wrap it up, it will heal and then the nutrients that come from a large root system will come up and go directly from the main stalk into the branch. That's connection. So Jesus talks about we being the branches, we receive our life. We have no life by ourselves. And so if we will abide in him, the branch doesn't have much of a choice, you know, to jump away from the tree. But you and I do. 
uh, we can go our own way. But he that will abide in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. And in Philippians, you know, it says, all things are possible when the power of Jesus runs through our life. In Galatians 5, I like to read that again. Verses 16 through 25. This is the scripture. Galatians 5, verse 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit. The Spirit is the sap that connects Christ to us. And we need to pray for the Holy Spirit at home and in the church. There's little prayer for the power of the Holy Spirit. It's like uh, the early Ephesians. <laughs> they didn't really focus on it, didn't understand it, and didn't really relate. Walk in the Spirit, ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, for the flesh lusts against the Spirit. The things in the world are distractors from Christ. And we must be careful not to let that happen. The Spirit works against the flesh, and these are contrary one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. That's being worldly-minded and being too absorbed in the things of the world. But if you're led by the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness. This is a list of the activities of a culture. That's all it is. It was back there, and it is today, and it's destroying a sense of God's presence. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, it's all the stuff, the sexual promiscuity in the world. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murderers, drunkenness, reveling, and such like. Of which I tell you before, I told you before, as I've also told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, they will never even understand because they've cut themselves off from the power of communication that connects human beings to God, and that's the Holy Spirit. But then we have the fruit of the Spirit, and that's love, that miracle, miracle fruit that has nine wonderful colors, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with its affections and lust. Therefore live in the Spirit and walk in the Spirit. So yesterday we talked about the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Fruit is to be seen in our lives, the way we relate to our family and our community, our neighbors, to the church, and to the world. The fruit is a supernatural result of the presence of God. It's wonderful to be around people who are sanctified, people who are reflecting the character of Jesus. It's a joy to be amongst them. Like on this hill the last few days. You know, it's a great pleasure to meet those who are committed to Jesus because you see the Spirit of God shining through their faces. You can see it. And you can hear it, and you can sense it, and you can feel it. It's there. But someone says, that is no excuse to stop there and to say, well, I don't have to share. This morning we talk about the fruit in the Spirit, not in our personal sanctification and reflection of Jesus, 
but the fruit that will come when our lives are planted in the world amongst those who know not Jesus. When Jesus went to heaven, he had fruit, the first fruit to present as an assurance of the large harvest of fruit that would come at the end of the world. So, today we want to talk about sharing. In Acts 4.13, it talks about Peter and John. Acts 4.13. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Wonderful. People will do the same with us, you and me. And then Jesus says, yes, in John 15, 8, I meant to read that also. Here's, here is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and that fruit should remain. And in verse 27 it says, ye shall bear witness because ye have been with me. Uh, I heard this little thing uh, presented one time. Somebody said, when the Christian comes to the pearly gates, knocks on the door, and it's not quite that way, but you know, it's kind of like a parable. Knocks on the door, someone inside shouts, who's there? And uh, I will say, Brother Roski. The voice comes back from the inside and shouts, who's with you? I'm alone. Can't come in. Go find somebody else that you can bring with you. No one is going through the pearly gates alone. I like that. Kind of funny, but uh, it's good. Now, in uh, Galatians 5, as we read, there were a number of virtues that are passive, that deal with our own characters. Uh, the holiness and temperance and so on, some of these pertain to our own characters. Then there are some virtues that I mentioned that are active. And they need an object. Love. There can be really not much love unless there's an object. Love is always towards an object. Love is always something that puts us in relationship. Long-suffering. Well, that talks about people around us. Not to ourselves, but to others. Being kind. Gentleness. Gentleness is, a pa is an active virtue. Relating to others. Being gentle. Goodness. Faith has an object, meekness. What seems to come through here is that the fruit of the Spirit is not only personal sanctification, but sharing, sharing what Jesus has given us. So, being filled with the Holy Spirit and with the fruits of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit means witnessing power. After the disciples had experienced Pentecost and received the gift of the Spirit, they were filled with power and only had one burden, we are told in Acts of the Apostles. One burden as they left, you know, the blessings of heaven. Well, after they had received the blessing of heaven, the Holy Spirit, they had a clearer and more powerful understanding of the sacrifice Jesus made for them and for the world. And their burden was to win as many as they could to the same wonderful experience that they themselves had received. And then the Bible says they had holy boldness. 
the result of receiving the Holy Spirit is holy boldness. Peter was so timid, he denied the Lord. They were, you know, marginally educated. Most of the fishermen were not really educated much at all. And they had many things that were not really in their favor. They might have said, oh, I don't have the talents. Now that preacher there, I can see, wow, he has the gift. And I praise God for our leaders who have been sharing with us. I am inspired. I sit there and i just inspired. I can just feel and see the Lord speaking to me, you know. But we have been entrusted with gifts that are very, very important as well. And we said we won't measure ourselves with others, but we will look in the face of Jesus and then see his glory shining through us because we will be also a powerful influence. Now, there's a story in Acts 3 that we want to look at for a little bit this morning. Acts 3, 1 through 9. It's Peter and John. We're just talking about them. Went together, Acts 3, chapter 3, 1 through 9. Now, Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. A certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alm, a little donation. And Peter fastened his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed to them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none. You know that little song we made out of this verse. But such as I have, I give thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. He didn't just talk. He took him by the right hand and lifted him up and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And then, leaping, he stood up and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping. If I could sing, I would sing the song for you. <laughs> walking and leaping and praising God, you know, in the name of Jesus Christ. He was restored. What a beautiful story uh, for this morning. Here, Peter and John may have just come from a prayer meeting. They may have just received a refreshing of the Holy Spirit after they had experienced the outfilling of the Spirit. So Peter and John went to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Now, this is Jewish time, right? The Jews divided the day into 12 hours. Uh, six o'clock was the first hour. They had the sun rising before that, and so they went all the way through. All through the year, in the wintertime, the hours were shorter and, uh, no, longer, because it was still 12. Well, it was the same time, but, uh, yeah. Oh, I see, the sun would set a little sooner, so the hours would be shorter. And in the summertime, the hours would be longer, but there were 12. And they had four watches at night. They divided the night into four different periods. So if you wanted about the ninth hour. The ninth hour, Jewish time, is what time for us? Three o'clock. The Bible also uses Roman time in certain places. And then you might get confused. So we have to figure out Roman time or... Uh, Jewish time. Well, this was Jewish time, the ninth hour. Um, to go and pray. It was the hour of prayer. Why the ninth hour? 3 p.m.? It was the time of the evening sacrifice. Now, I expect the evening sacrifice to be at 6, you know, 5, 6 or so. But no, it was 3 o'clock in the afternoon. For 2,000 years, Israel came to worship God 
at 3 p.m. And the sacrifices were presented to God at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Jesus died exactly on time. He died at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. Now, for interest's sake, he was crucified which hour? The third hour. What time was that? Nine o'clock in the morning. Darkness fell at the sixth hour. What time was that? Twelve o'clock, noon. And then he died at the ninth hour, 3 p.m. in the afternoon. So Jesus suffered. Well, he suffered through all the trials the night before too. But on the cross, from 9 in the morning till 3 in the afternoon. So that was the hour of power. It was the hour of sacrifice. It was the hour when heaven poured out all the love that was to be given to a sinful race to draw them into the heart of Jesus. Prayers that ascend based on the hour of power, on the hour of sacrifice, bring results. Whatever happens during the hour of power when Jesus died for the human race brings results. Now in verse 2 it says, a lame man from his mother's womb. Now isn't that interesting? That represents the sinner. We were born into this world sinners. He watched the worshipers come to the temple three times a day, in and out. He's never been inside the temple. He got to the gate, but as far as he got. And I'm sure he had a certain longing how nice it would be if he could go inside and worship his God as well. But he never did. The poor man never walked. He could never play with the children, the neighbor children, uh, hide and seek at night and any of those things. No, he was confined to the ground. And this depicts of the lost sinner. Helpless, hopeless, born that way. And no doubt he had tried every possible method and means to be healed. We're told that he went all over the place trying to find someone who could help him. Nobody could help him. Jesus had been his last hope. And so now he had heard about the crucifixion. And now his last hope was gone. Then he settled down to a life of misery, begging. Life without the Holy Spirit is a begging, is, is a begging life. People reaching for this and reaching for that and being satisfied with the crumbs that are thrown to them. Each morning his family and friends laid him at the gate beautiful. Can you catch the painful irony? At the gate beautiful. There was nothing, about, nothing beautiful about that man's you know, a condition. It was terrible. He couldn't even move. He couldn't go anywhere. His mind could travel, but wherever he went, somebody had to carry him. You know, that's a lesson there too, right? We are not capable of doing anything good in our own strength. But the Holy Spirit wants to lead, to guide, to strengthen, and to carry us. I think about the gate beautiful. And maybe, maybe the gate was beautiful because uh, Luke wrote this after it all happened, right? And he, he knew what had happened. Something beautiful had happened. But of course the gate was called beautiful too. And so that might have been a little bit of a promise there, the gate beautiful. Now I was thinking, every church, every Adventist church is a gate beautiful. Every member is a gate beautiful. And the Lord 
arranges that the lame would be placed at the gate beautiful. At your door and my door, at the church door. There's that man asking alms, satisfied with crumbs. Few pennies that maybe the worshippers planned to put, put in the offering plate. Maybe they shared that with him. So easily satisfied with crumbs. Represents the Christian life sometimes too. We're too easily satisfied. Well, not this weekend and not these days that we spend here. Then verse 4, it says, Peter was fastening his eyes upon him. That's another lesson there. He didn't just have a casual look. Oh, well, too bad all these suffering people in the world. Don't you feel that way sometimes when I drive down the street? I see the beggars there. Oh, by the way, I, I, I developed a little habit for the beggars at the street corner. You know, when I first came to California, I, didn't, I was surprised how many beggars there were in California. Well, the weather is nice. It can be out there. At night, too. And I got in the habit of uh, having some dollar bills in my pocket. And I would give them. And sometimes people would say, See, don't waste your money like that. They're probably winos. I say, I don't care. I mean, I care. I wish they wouldn't be. But Jesus didn't ask, are you a wino? So I leave that to God. I need to open my door to the ones who placed at the gate. Beautiful. So in my glove compartment now, a <laughs> little pocket there, I've got dollar bills. And I feel really good about it. It gives me a blessing. I don't know what they will do with it. I, I sometimes tell them, now, don't buy liquor. You know? And they always say, no, no, no. I said, God bless you. And of course, they're very happy. But it makes me feel good. And I need to feel the joy of heaven. You know? And of course, I pray that they will use it wisely. But no, the best thing would be to give them some clothes, give them some food. But when you drive by in an intersection where the cars are going boom, 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 you're not going to do all that. So that's just a little thing, you know, it's not a big deal. But um, Peter fastened his eyes. His eyes were not on the things of the world, fortune, success, and whatever, you know, fame, selfishness. No, he fastened his eyes on this man. And I was thinking, you know, if many people fasten their eyes on television. Too much. And our look is too casual. Then the man saw that intensity on the part of Peter and John. And so it created expectation in his heart. It says that he was expecting to receive something. And I said, oh, isn't that interesting? Do you know the world that no Seventh-day Adventist expects something from them? And they expect more from them than do from anybody else, other Christian church or other Christian people. And when a Seventh-day Adventist will do something wrong in the community... Everybody will know it and say, Seven, the Adventists shouldn't be doing that. The other Christians, they don't even, probably in most cases, won't mention their religion. The world has a right to expect something, right, from us? Because we are placed as watchmen on the walls of Zion. We have been entrusted with a special message. The last message before Jesus comes, they have a right to expect something. We are the salt of the earth, the light on a hill. God is counting on us. In Acts of the Apostles 109, it says, All over the world, men and women are looking wistfully to heaven. Prayers, tears, inquiries go up from souls longing for light, for grace, for the Holy Spirit. Many on the verge of the kingdom waiting only to be gathered in. 
And that might give us the impression that they're just waiting for us everywhere. No, I discovered yesterday, <laughs> you got to knock on a few doors before you find somebody. But is it worth it? If it were your child or your brother you're looking for, would you walk a couple of streets without finding him? You would keep looking, wouldn't you? Oh, yes, we would keep looking. We would be calling and looking. And when we finally find one, it's worth it all. Jesus places value on one soul. And it doesn't mean that, you know, it's always easy. Sometimes it does take endurance and patience and commitment. But God will point us and he will lead us to someone. You and I, you know, we are not responsible for the whole world. But God has given us a little world. We have a world. Our own sphere of influence that God is holding us responsible for and that he wants to help us with. We are holding the lifeline to some soul, maybe in your family, maybe in the church. There are some people who are admiring you quietly. They don't tell you. Some tell you. You hold the lifeline. You have a power that God, you know, comes from God that wants to search through you to those people whose lifeline you're holding in your hand. Tell your story. When we first came from Germany, there was a Yale, actually a German lady whose well had caved in, you know, their own well. It was kind of these wooden squares. They don't do that anymore that way. Anyhow, she so said, boys, two of my brothers, my brother-in-law, could you help us? Could you help me to, to fix that well? She said, sure. We're looking you know, for jobs right away. And so we went there to help her with the well. And we looked at the situation. The wood had rotted and caved in. And so we knew that we had to dig out the sand, clear it up, and make a new casing for it. And so the brothers all looked at one another and said, now who's the one as we go down there, get the sand? Who's going to go down there into the well? And they said, oh, Zeke, you're the skinniest. <laughs> My waistline was all of 28, you know, those days. Weighing all of 120, no, 135 pounds or something like that. Anyway, maybe less. So they tied a rope around me, you know, my waist. And uh, I went down into the well with a shovel and a bucket, which was on another rope, and filled the bucket and started cleaning out the well. I was going deeper and deeper and deeper till my head had disappeared, you know, and I was down in there. And they were pulling the buckets with sand in the wheelbarrow and taking it away. And then uh, after about half an hour of work or so, we were getting fairly deep, I noticed when the empty wheelbarrow was coming back, they had taken the sand some other place, that some grains of sand started trickling from the side of the well. Oh, I said, this could, not, this could be bad. I've heard stories. And, and so I said, well, I better watch it. And wouldn't you know, as the wheelbarrow was running, vibrating the ground, all of a sudden, the things started caving in. And I shouted, hey, John, hey, Kurt, pull me up, pull me up, pull me up. They were telling jokes up there. You know, the opening of the well isn't very big, and my sound didn't carry. They had too much fun up there amongst each other. And so these things that caving in, I thank the Lord, it was not just caving in from the top, it was caving in from, from the bottom up. And so I had a chance to scramble, <laughs> you know, on top and just as fast as good. And so the last part just covered me. Uh, to my knees, and my head was sticking out, and I was just trembling. And finally, I got out of the well. Oh, oh, Zeke, we didn't even notice. No, you had too good a time up there <laughs> to notice. You held my lifeline in your hands. I cried. You never heard me. 
I thought, that's a Christian life. The committed Christian is holding somebody's lifeline, the one end. Someone is crying, but it may be faint. It may, may not be so loud as overwhelming. Only the one who's in tune with the Holy Spirit will hear the voice and respond. My dear young brother and sister in the Momoturans, you're holding somebody's lifeline. Somebody's counting on you, and you don't even know it. Are you tuned in? Can you hear that faint cry? Someone is waiting to speak the, for you, to speak the encouraging word, to share God's word. Someone is waiting for your visit. Someone is waiting for your call. Okay, then we come to the verse 6. Silver and gold have I none. Time is slipping away too fast. Silver and gold have I none. The man probably was disappointed when Peter said that to him. That's the only thing he was really interested in. But such as I have, I give thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. They say that Pope Innocent said to uh, Thomas Aquinas, one of the great theological leaders in the Catholic Church, you know, the church today can no longer say silver and gold have I none. And Aquinas answered and said, neither can it say rise up and walk. Interesting. There's power in the name of Jesus. When we use the name of Jesus reverently, the angels rush in. Not I, but Christ be honored, loved, exalted. Christ, only Christ, be known, be seen, be heard. The Lamb of God, the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. Lift up Jesus. Lift up Jesus before the world. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. He didn't just talk to him. He didn't just say, nice day, here's a quarter. But he took him by the right hand, the hand of strength, and lifted him up. And the miracle happened. His feet became strong spiritually, sitting people back on their feet. Have you heard about uh, General William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army? I, I like this. I like his life and his story. He was a passionate soul winner. And um, the, the whole work of Salvation Army was kind of captured in a picture that he had painted. And the picture presented a, uh, a shipwreck. That's the word I'm thinking about. A shipwreck. People floating in the water trying to find, you know, save their lives by reaching for some wooden uh, pieces that come from the ship. And here is William Booth in the lifeboat. And he's reaching down to a drowning man. And of course, the picture is still. So one day, the grandson was standing there. It was a huge picture. And the war cry, that's kind of the theme of the Salvation Army. And the little grandson was standing there watching his grandpa. And he was waiting for grandpa to pull that drowning man into the boat. But he didn't. You know, it's a still picture. And so while he was standing there, studying the picture, his mother came by and said, Honey, dear, what are you doing looking so intently at the picture? He said, Mommy... I'm puzzled. What's Grandpa doing there? Is he pulling people in the boat? Or is he just shaking hands with them? <laughs> wow! I like that. The point of the lesson there. As we go through life, what are we doing? Just shaking hands with the dying. Shaking hands with the drowning. Or are we pulling them into the boat? 
powerful. And then verse 8, and leaping, stood up and walked and entered with them into the temple. What a day that was. Walking and leaping and praising God. The lame man caused an excitement in the church. You know, some of the churches are more or less dead, you know, spiritually. But have you ever seen a new convert, a new family come into the, into the church? It excites the whole church. The Holy Spirit just gets them all excited. We need to do more of this. This is great. This is wonderful. That lame man, when he started jumping, he didn't just walk in church. He was leaping because he wanted to be sure that the legs were still working, you know what I mean? And, and building the legs and shouting and praising God. And of course, Peter and John did too. What an experience. All the people were amazed and, and looked at Peter and John saying, wow, what power they have. And what Peter and John say? They say, don't look at us. Verse 13. Don't look at us. The God of Abraham, of Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his son. And you know when he was glorified and accepted in heaven, he poured out the Holy Spirit, whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate. It was the Lord Jesus Christ, by his power, this experience, this miracle has taken place. So someone has aptly said, filled with the Spirit, on the mountaintop, we had a mountaintop experience here. And someone says now, go then. Go then with Christ as you're leaving this morning. From the mountaintop where you were filled with the fruit of the Spirit and the spiritual gifts and the power of God, go down with Christ to the multitude. Go where it is dark and souls long for light, where it's cold and souls long for warmth, where they're hungry and souls long to be fed, where they're weak and souls long to be strong, where they're sick and long to be well. Go down where the battle is hard, where men and women struggle and fail, and struggle and fail again, where selfishness and greed cause souls to sink in discouragement and despair. Go, point them to Christ of Calvary, the way, the truth, the life. Go tell them the Bible is true. You can count on it. Go tell them Christ is coming again soon to receive whosoever believes unto him and to give them a mansion in the Father's house. For this you have received the gifts of the Holy Spirit, developed the fruit of the Spirit. Somewhere, someone needs the comfort that only you can give. Somebody needs the song that only you can sing. Somebody needs the strength that only you and I can impart. Somebody needs the joy that only you can share. Go, therefore, lose your life in the furrow of the world's great need. For except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it die to self, it will bring forth much fruit. Little story, little family story, powerful story about a little dog. The Lord taught me a powerful story that day. Sabbath afternoon, we were driving for a little drive out of town, let the kids run a little bit in the field, in the grass, pulled over, stopped the car. Kids were playing, they were small. And uh, oh, they were playing about an hour or so. And then I remember I had a meeting at church. Oh, I said to my wife, honey, I need to get back to church. Okay, let's go. So we all quickly jumped in the car and took off. Went to church, she dropped me off. 
and the rest went home, and we had a meeting, and someone took me home, and it was about, you know, we had sun on worship, and then we played some games with the children, and then it was time to go to bed, and the kids got ready for bed. And my wife said to me, honey, bring in the dog. His name is Tippy, black little terrier with a white little nose, and on the paws, little white paws, you know, his feet, and on the tail, a little white spot. So we called him Tippy. And so I go outside, and he usually was right there. It's Tippy, no Tippy. So call a little louder. Wouldn't you know it? No Tippy. Uh-oh, there's trouble. There's trouble. Then I start to think, well, what happened? Didn't we have Tippy? Yeah, we had him this afternoon. We had him with us on the outing. You gotta be kidding. <laughs> Daddy, Daddy, Tippy, where's Tippy? And the kids love Tippy. He's part of the family. I said, children, well, you just go to bed. We need to look for Tippy tomorrow. It's pretty hard to find a black dog in the pitch of night, you know, in the middle of the night dark. So I said, no, no, Daddy, they said. No, 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 we're not going to bed. We're going to go look for Tippy. I said, there's no point. Probably he's on his way home. You know, a dog doesn't stand in one place and keeps waiting for you. He's probably halfway through the city. Probably some kids... Some kids found him and brought him in, and he's probably eating cookies and milk right now. So in the morning, we'll go and look for Tippy. No, Daddy, we can't. We got to go now, Daddy. We got to go. We got to go. All right, then get dressed. Hesitantly, the kids all got dressed. It's 11 o'clock at night. We start driving down the way we had been. First to church. Did he get away on church? So we stopped there, called Tippy, Tippy. And no, no, Tippy. So we're driving down that bypass road. Uh, south of town, stopped at every intersection. Tippy, Tippy. People who heard us at 12 o'clock, you know, Saturday night. Uh, somebody is a little bit, you know, tipsy, tipsy, you know, or something. <laughs> and, and so we kept driving. It took us quite a while till we got to the end of the road. And just about a half a mile from where we had stopped the car. I said, kids, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but no Tippy tonight. But tomorrow morning we'll go and look. No, no, Daddy, no, no. Go all the way. I was already going back. <laughs> I had already turned around. I said, no, no, Daddy, go all the way. Amen. I said, what's the point, kids? He wouldn't be sitting there waiting for us in the very same spot. He's a smart dog. He would try to find his way home. Daddy, go. There were three kids against one, you know. <laughs> one faithless man and three children of faith. And so I turned around back, okay, okay, you know, went the rest of the way, turned around the corner to the gravel road, drove down the gravel road, we had parked the car. While we came over this last little hill, all of a sudden, two lights in the middle of the road. I said, kids, it's a skunk. <laughs> and so I drove a little closer. The lights were shining on that black little creature, skunk. Stopped the car, and that little skunk flew up in the air, about like the lame man. And one dash, he had almost like he had wings, barely touching the ground. We opened the door, and he was flying into the door, all over us with his muddy tummy. Now, this was November. The ground was frozen. He sat on the ground for six hours, waiting, in the very spot where we left him off. He didn't move in the middle of the road, waiting. My master loves me. Those children, they love me. They'll be back. They'll be there. They'll be back to get me. I know they're coming back. It tore my heart to think if I would have gone to bed that night. John 15, 7. Here in is my father glorified 
that ye may bear much fruit, so shall ye be my, my disciples. Brothers and sisters, as we go home, there's someone that's waiting for us in that dark, cold world. Let's ask the Lord to lead us to that person and point in the way to salvation, to joy and happiness in Jesus. Our loving Father in heaven, we thank thee for the word of God. We thank thee for people like Peter and John. Such simple people, fishermen they were. But how transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit through the gifts of the Spirit, bearing fruit that Jesus bore through them, brings salvation to those who were lost. So go with us as we leave today. May the angels guide us and guard us and make us instruments of thy peace and thy grace in finding those dear longing souls so longing for heaven that someday soon as we march to the pearly gates we will not be alone but there will be a large number that will be with us and will say to us because of you I'm here today we pray it in Jesus name Amen This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more if you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.